The secret of change is to focus your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. And that's exactly what we're going to do, starting right now. Welcome to the Bite Size Habits Podcast. I'm Dr. Heather McKee. I'm a weight loss and behavior change psychology specialist and founder of drheathermckee.co.uk. This podcast is all about serving up bite-sized, digestible, evidence-based guidance from top health and behavior change experts and some inspirational real-life stories to help you get the mindset for success and stay there. Having had worked in addictions for years, behavior change specialist Sheru wanted to find a way to translate key behavior change theory into an accessible format that could be used by her clients and be easy to apply to their everyday lives. These findings have recently been distilled into Sheru's best-selling book, The Kindness Method, which is an essential piece of reading that I strongly recommend to so many of my coaching clients. In this episode, we discuss Sheru's top habit tip that she implements every day to help her overcome challenging situations, how forearmed is forewarned, having a plan of action is key, why guidance is much more valuable than opinion. Some questions to ask yourself to support your healthy habits based on this episode are, can you become more aware of your negative self-talk and start to think about rewriting your own more encouraging script? What three things will test me today? Can you jot down just three things and come up with ways in which you'd like to behave in response to them? For example, how will you deal with a difficult colleague or how will you cope when a temptation crops up? It was so fun talking to Shrew And I'm not kidding when I say her book is jam-packed with incredibly effective ways in which to reflect on and improve your own habits. I know you will find today's conversation on why we don't need fixing with Sheru a fascinating insight into how to cultivate kindness habits now. Hi Sheru, welcome to the Bite Size Habits podcast. Thank you very much, thanks for having me. Oh, so excited to speak to a behaviour change specialist. And I'm sure I've been totally geeking out on your book absolutely loving it and I'm so excited to share kind of all the insights from that and hear more about you and your background and everything um so yeah really excited thank you for coming on of course thank you for having me it's a it's a pleasure well I suppose the the key thing is really um I'm really interested in what how you got started in this field and kind of what drew you to the field in the first place yeah um my first placement after I did my master's in psychology was at a substance misuse service in uh, Wilsdon Junction, where they were mainly um, working with people who were addicted to opiates and alcohol. And initially, I just, I just found it extraordinary how in substance misuse, with quite minimal intervention a lot of the time, and helping basic needs be met, um, you were able to help people completely transform their lives. Mm. And very often it was just a lack of knowledge around motiv- motivational theories and resources and options available to people that held them back from actually making these huge changes that impacted them and their well-being and their mental health and their physical health and their emotional health and how much of part of their community they felt and all sorts of different things that contribute to people's well-being and I felt like I could be useful there um and so I just stayed in it really and I think also being honest there are people I think I got the impression that some people were were not so keen on working in that sector and I never really understood it um because I absolutely love it so I just stayed there and kept working my way up the ranks 
so you're really drawn to kind of helping those people that needed it most, kind of needed those key behavior, behavior change principles, those techniques that support to really help them kind of overcome the barriers to change. Yeah, absolutely. And also, um, I was quite quickly very dedicated to getting rid of all the jargon that was mm. so often the unnecessary stuff that I think does alienate people a little bit and deter them mm. from wanting to manage their own progress. So I was, um, you know, I've always been a big reader of self-help books and they're not the most academic texts, let's face it. But I always just really loved the way that they, they cut out all the unnecessary jargon, the, the clinical mm. speak and the acronyms and all those things that we know as practitioners are quite good at making us sound clever and, you know, you know, they become part of our vocabulary, but I think they can sometimes shut people out from having access to basically very simple tools that we've known for a long time um, can, can help to make people, can help people to make changes. Mm, mm, so it's about like kind of being able to translate, you know, what those academic texts into relational, relatable language with people. You know, really yeah. then help them understand those key concepts that they needed for change. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And what would be an example of that, or what would that what that, what does that kind of look like? People are quite interested in you know how that works in practice. Well, I mean, a lot of the um, a lot of the evidence base used in addiction treatment needn't be almost kept secret not not kept secret, but needn't be. Uh, exclusively known by professionals or clinicians. Mm. I think a lot of the theories do very much lend themselves to self-management, provided they're delivered in the same way. I mean, um, be it motivational interviewing, mindful practice, uh, strength-based working, acceptance and commitment therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, node link mapping, self-determination theories, post-traumatic growth. You know, all of these, yeah. all of these approaches and theories um, people can bring into their daily practice and dedication to becoming more, more self-aware across many areas of their lives. Mm. So I think drawing from all the things that people in long-term recovery have always known and practitioners working in addiction have always known um, is a really effective way of getting your hands on some really decent resources and tools that can help people to thrive, really. Mm. Mm. And so it's helping kind of people understand how these theories and all this kind of background can help them in a way that makes the most sense to them on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, absolutely. In the same way that I've made them make sense to me on a day-to-day -day basis, because although I've done all the studying, I'm not a, I wouldn't consider myself a highly academic person. I like to mm. cut to the end. I like to know what information I need to know um, and make it as useful and spoke as quickly as possible mm, um, mm. and so I wanted to be able to do that for other people too because I'm not the only one certainly who learns that way yeah yeah and and, and that's what's absolutely so lovely about your book um, you know in a way that it kind of takes that out of the esoteric and brings it down into real world and says you know if you want to work on this you know here is how you do it and here are actually examples you're not just hypothetically talking about X, Y, Z, you're like, why? Right, if you want to work on this, you know, here is how you do it, which is really, you know, it, it, it seems so common sense, but yet it's not kind of as widely practiced. Yeah, no, it isn't. Um, it's, 
it 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 did really surprise me working in the addiction field that someone hadn't already written a book like the kindness method because mm. I compared to you know the frontline key workers who are working in substance misuse services for 25 30 years who know so much more than I do um, and have had such a breadth of experience I you know I've just I've just picked up on the stuff that I could see work across the board for mm-hmm. a diverse range of habits and a diverse range of different people Mm. um so I can't even imagine the wisdom that they could bring to a project like this but um as soon as I saw that this stuff was working so effectively and it cost nothing I had to um I really did feel very compelled to share it in some way or another Mm, mm. and I yeah I certainly encourage everyone to read it I certainly got a lot out of it even from my own habit standpoint because exactly as you say you make it translatable successful you know, when you're reading it, it's like almost like having a conversation with a friend. You know, it's like just really kind of, you know, you feel supported and you're given things that are actually, you know, easy to do, make sense, but actually can make a difference. Thank you. I appreciate that, particularly coming from yourself as a doctor. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. And that's that's kind of what I had, had hoped for. I didn't mm. want it to be an exercise in my sort of inflating my own ego and looking how how clever I could sound. I wanted it to be an exercise in writing a book that I would read. Yeah, yeah. And that's, it, that's certainly been achieved. And I, I think, yeah, um, again, you know, I think and, and the beauty of it is as well, because it can, it could mold, be molded to so many different habits, um, which is what I really like about it as well. You know, it doesn't have to just be one thing, you know, um, and therefore it's, quite relatable for a lot of people and um, depending on what is the issue that they're you know the biggest barrier that they're kind of facing at the moment um, and that kind of brings me on to the question about you know what what are the barriers that you find that people have when it comes to adopting healthy habits what are the kind of key things that you feel get in people's way of them being able to kind of not only take up that habit but then be able to maintain that habit I'd say negative self-talk is definitely one of them self-sabotaging mm self-talk so um something that I talk about a lot in the book is how differently we speak to ourselves compared to how we speak to other people and although it's it's very nice to have a soundtrack going around which is kind and supportive and we should all aspire to be nicer um in the context of this book it's actually used as a tool to become more efficient and to change more quickly so for example if what a lot of people do when they fall off track with a with any plan um, that re- that requires them to put themselves in short-term discomfort is that when they deviate from their plan even slightly, they will start to beat themselves up. Reinforced core beliefs from childhood about their lack of capacity um, and generally just tell themselves things like I'm weak-willed and I'm the kind of person who starts things and doesn't finish them, which invariably is a self-fulfilling prophecy. And... Um, and that those are not voices that most motivate a person. They're actually the kinds of things you want to avoid and distract from, which mm. usually means that you're defaulting back onto the behaviors that help you avoid and distract. And so the cycle continues. Whereas if I ask people, what would you say to a loved one if they'd fallen off track with a plan? Um, the words of motivation would be, you know, by, by people's own own admission would be things like you can do it think of all the times that you've done things before you've done things that are much harder than this 
don't fixate on the past, move forward. You've already made so much progress. I believe in you. How can I support you? These are the, these are the messages that help us get stuff done and get back on track as quickly as possible. Um, and so I'd say in the first instance, it's about my job is, is very much concerned with bringing to people's attention that the, that the script that they give themselves is not as motivating as the one that they are able to give other people and helping them to make that shift. Mm-hmm. And it's so often, isn't it, that, you know, people just don't have that compassionate voice with themselves. They expect to, like, punish or berate themselves into success. But like you say, you know, those, that's not motivating. And, you know, if you use that same word with someone else that you know and love, you know, what kind of impact would that have in the relationship with the person? But yet we allow ourselves to have that relationship with ourselves, which is, you know, not very beneficial, motivating, or inspiring kind of relationship. No, I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I really, yeah, I really like that piece. And it, it's, it's certainly something, you know, that I notice in a lot of my clients and the shift that people start to make, you know, once they start to recognize that self-talk as being unproductive, you know, mm-hmm. it can be really, really magical. And actually for a lot of people, that's quite groundbreaking alone in terms of their habit change journeys, understanding, you know, okay, actually I don't want to talk to myself like this anymore. It's not as motivating for me. It's not a nice place to be. And actually mm-hmm. once they start to focus then, you know, and as you kind of touch on your book, on their strengths, you know, on, on the things that they can do, how they succeeded in the past. Um, there's a particular chapter I love, which is um, what am I proud of? And, um, you know, all of those actually, you know, um, and showing people that, you know, that kind of having that positive self-talk, it's not self, you know, deceiving or it's not, um, you know, being big-headed or anything like that. It's actually just encouraging and motivating. Yeah, and it's very separate to being risk-averse. We're quite, as, as humans, as you well know, we are wired to look out for risk and mm. therefore to uh, concentrate on our deficits. Whereas when it comes to most, and, you know, in the case of anxiety, we know that that can be wildly counterproductive because, you know, mm. our brains are, are of course, um, focusing on protecting us, not keeping us happy. And that comes into motivation too. You know, we do learn to kind of focus on our deficits in the same way that if, if I get 100 pieces of positive feedback and one piece of negative feedback, I'm, I'm likely to fixate on the negative one. Yeah. Um, unless, of course, I know what I know about motivation and about anxiety and about thought patterns. So all I want to do is kind of hand that over to people so that they can do the same thing, kind of realize it happening with a curious compassion, not beat themselves up about it, accept that it will happen because they're human, and then immediately move on to how they wish to deal with that. Mm. Mm. So that acceptance piece is kind of the first step, and then it's like thinking about your coping strategies, about how you're going to handle that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, I suppose, Shuri, I'm cu- curious, what are, you, what are your key kind of healthy habits? Do you, do you mind sharing a little bit on that? No, not at all. I am a, I can be a very um, hasty and quite inconsistent person in terms of my mood. So what shame I tend you. to do, <laughs> pardon me? I said shame on you. I know, I know. How dare I? Um, so what I do is I, I wake up every morning and while the kettle's boiling, I spend two or three minutes just jotting down the things that I think are going to test me that day. That can be anything from it's raining, so I'm likely to 
not go to the gym as I had as I had planned to do, or I have a meeting with someone who I know annoys me, and so I'm likely to be, you know, respond to them in a way that I'm not proud of tomorrow, etc. And then next to each of those potential hypothetical ch- challenges, I wrote I write down how I would like to behave if and when they present themselves internal or external and this is very quickly jotted down two or three minute exercise but when it comes to self-awareness and triggers and high risk um for whatever plan you're trying to have in in place that might require you to sit through some discomfort um forewarned really is forearmed Mm. so when it comes about that craving or that impulse to do something that you might regret tomorrow having preempted it does make us feel very empowered and as if we're observing the body as a kind of quite a textbook thing that has that has responses that have, have been ingrained over time and they're expected. And that helps massively to overcome cravings and urges to do things, as I say, that I'll regret tomorrow. Um, from the way that I respond to an email to whether I eat a whole baguette in one sitting. You know, it just, it, it applies to absolutely everything. And so when it does invariably come about, that challenge or that test, I, I see it as just that, as opposed to feeling almost affronted by the world. Mm, mm. It's, it's really lovely because you're saying like, you know, I, I think so often we imagine that, you know, these circumstances are unique. But I'm sure as you've tracked it, you know, you find out actually, you know, this test or this challenge might come up quite frequently and actually having a plan of action of how you deal in this situation, you know, and each time you carry that out just reinforces, you know, that new goal that you've set yourself, that way you've decided to overcome that barrier. Yeah, I think when you take shock out of the equation, mm. you, you know, I think we feel much, much more in control and we mm. expect things and kind of go, okay, I expected this to be hard. It is hard as I'd expected, but I've already planned how I'm going to respond to it. And the, the okay. version of me that that decided how I would respond was the version that was calm and rational and mm, for want of sounding to Instagram, my best self. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's definitely the one that I'd say does me the most good. And it takes yeah. two or three minutes every morning. It's nothing. It's nowhere near as difficult as people imagine, you know, in, in mm. compared to a, a traditional journaling process, for example. Yeah, I love that. And in a way, you know, you're saying that, yeah, when you're most emotionally stable, when you're well fed, when the kind of woes and worries of the day haven't kind of got their toll on you, when your self-control is highest, you know, you make a plan for what you're going to do in these circumstances. So then you're equipped. There's no shock. There's no surprises. There's no kind of random emergencies. And you you kind of have a plan of action, a go-to in that um, circumstance rather relying than relying on your mood or your emotion or how you feel at the time to kind of come up with a um a valid response in that situation exactly exactly yeah. oh, great great that was so helpful um i'm just wondering then you know is there any good resources or information that you recommend um for people with their healthy habits um in general well, uh... your book <laughs> is amazing <laughs> um, one of the best resources honestly and this is absolutely no joke that I've seen out there that is most accessible but practical um, and really, really useful. Um, I suppose then the question based on that would be how can people find out more about that? Where do they get it? How do they find out more about what you do? Um, well, my book is available on Amazon, um, currently in the UK, but it's about to be released in a number of other countries. Okay. 
uh, over the over the next six months. It's also available in Waterstones and foils and most bookshops. Mm. I would say though, um, whether it's my book or any other book on habits or any other book on behavior change, um, it's important. I find it's really important that people don't feel like they need to hand themselves over to someone else's idea of what their goals should be and what their plans should be. I think anything that screams guidance and not opinion Mm. is, um, would, would be my recommendation and something that resonates with you, you know, it's probably not a very business mind thing for me to say, but if my book doesn't resonate with you, don't give up on the process, go Mm. looking for another one, (laughs) you know, don't, don't be disillusioned. It isn't. It isn't your fault. Mm. It's um, you know, ev- everyone needs to find a different path to making changes. For me, it's about keeping it simple and acknowledging that I will probably always be a bit of a quick fix kind of person, and so I'm always going to want to make practical changes as quickly as possible. There are other people who may want to take a sort of a deeper approach, um, so and may want to you know, engage in some counseling or, you know, there are so many different options at this, at this stage. And my book is, is really just an opportunity to plan what you'd like to try and increase your resilience so that then if something doesn't work out, you're ready to just bounce back. And in terms of contacting me, um, with a name like Sheru, really, you can just Google my first name, (laughs) but I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter, both as Sharu Izadi and people are welcome to contact me anytime they like and I'm always keen to hear feedback on the, on the book and there's an audiobook on Audible as well which I which I narrate and people find quite helpful because it makes them feel like they've got a private session yeah yeah no it is really lovely actually I started on Audible and then I just wanted to see the exercises for myself so I bought the book as well um, but yeah, exactly. And that chimes back to what you said about, you know, find the medium that works best for you. Um, you know, and there isn't one size fits all. And like you say, you know, for some people, this is exactly what they need. For other people, it might not work for them, you know, or it might be that they need to kind of find a combination of this and whatever else. Um, and I think that's a really compassionate approach to take um, to behavior change, you know, reinforcing that, you know, not everything will work for you. And, um, you know, having that guidance and support will help and having tools and resources will help us about finding, you know, what works best within your life and, you know, what works best for you. Absolutely, because we're always going to want to change habits for the rest of our lives. Mm. So you may as well invest the time in finding what kind of language and format and approach suits you best because that's mm. going to give you the best, um, the best chance of sticking to it. Really? Yeah, I love that. So it's a lifelong pursuit, really, you know, and, and to look at it like that. Yeah, we don't need fixing, you know. Mm. It's just a self-improvement process. People need yeah. to stop thinking that they're faulty and they need fixing because, <laughs> you know, even if even if only because we will never reach that elusive state of fixed, we may as well just see it as an ongoing process of, mm. of realizing, of reminding ourselves that everything is fine ultimately and that we are fine ultimately but if we wish to make improvements, there are resources out there and they are evidence-based and they are effective. That's mm, it. Lovely. I love that. I think that's a lovely kind of note to finish on that, you know, yeah, we don't need fixing. And, you know, and, and if we choose to improve and, you know, learn, then, you know, we get engaged with these resources and they can be really helpful. 
Um, but exactly like you say, you know, there's nothing wrong with us inherently. Um, it's our choice whether we want to change for our own reasons. Absolutely. Well, Sheree, thank you so much for um, taking the time um, to be on the podcast today. It's been amazing hearing your insights on this and really pragmatic and really just translatable. And, you know, I'm really excited to actually think about now the three things that will test me um, tomorrow and how I'm going to overcome those. So, um, yeah, thank you for your insights. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Lovely to meet you. Yeah, and we're testing. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Heather. Okay, bye-bye. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bite Size Habits podcast. If you want to learn more about the key factors that drive your habits, pop on over to drheathermckee.co.uk. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to having you back soon for another episode of the Bite Size Habits podcast.